Welcome to Karate Cafe, your source for martial arts conversations since 2005. And now, here's your hosts, Paul Wilson and Dan Williams. Hello again, everybody. It's Paul here with another episode of Karate Cafe. Off my center line and directly in front of me on the, on the monitor, as always, is my good friend, Dan Williams. Dan, how are you? I am doing excellent. How are you, Paul? I'm just ducky. You know why? Why? Because we have an interview today. Ooh. That's right. Who are we interviewing today? We are... Uh, like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was just down in the green room with us. Uh, uh, my new close personal friend and mm-hmm. yours, mm-hmm. Uh, no, no Legal of the uh, Karate Obsession and Wanda That's Wednesdays. Right. Rhymes with Bagel. Uh, rhymes with Bagel, uh, the, um, which we had down in the, the green room. So that worked out nicely. And he ate them all. <laughs> That's mine. That's mine. Anyway. You know, you need a lot of, you need to carb load when you work out as much yeah, as he does. Yeah. Uh, very exciting to have him on. I just asked him at, on a lark and mm-hmm. uh, he had time today because we're just all sitting around at the house anyway. Yeah. No uh, kidding. I even did one of his drills in my class last night and uh, had a really good time with it. So he agreed to come on the show and we are going to have him on the show. Excellent. Uh, he's got a, a seminar coming up, you know, when, when the madness ends. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're going to ask him questions about his history, as always, and also about, um, you know, just the whole practical, practical karate uh, boom. Stuff, yeah. And, and stuff, and basically just kind of geek out over martial arts. Well, this is going to be fun. Well, cool. Let's go talk to Noah. Okay, everybody, we are here with Noah Legal. <clears throat> Finally, I get a, a chance to virtually meet you. I, I, I was in... Arizona, and so as we were staying in, in the green room before the show, uh, I've been to Arizona a couple of times, and I just did not put it together how close I was to you. Uh, and this one I was watching was a Wednesday uh, a ton, and and jamming and all that good work on there. Uh, anyway, but uh, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. Uh, <clears throat> we got a we could probably talk for fourteen hours. I mean, you are uh, many people that listen to this show probably follow Karate Obsession. Uh, which is your very cool blog on that, but, and also was a Wednesday. Uh, but I guess we probably should just jump in by saying that sort of basic, you know, like, how did you start in karate? Sure. Um, I started late, so I didn't get into it until I was already 18 years old. I had uh, always been a nerd. And unlike most people who get into the martial arts for martial arts movies or TV shows and Ninja Turtles and things like that, uh, I, I got into it because of anime, because I'm that kind of nerd. And uh, I had actually wanted to do uh, swordsmanship of some description, but the nearest kendo school was an hour away and really expensive. Um, so I found out that the local karate school had a sword class on Friday, but you had to be a karate student to attend. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll try karate out and see how things go and get into sword. Um, and so I started training in Shuriru Karate uh, in central Illinois um, at the Academy of Okinawan Karate there uh, in uh, Morton originally um, and joined in with their judo and their kobudo and the iaijutsu that they had and just kind of did everything. I was in the dojo probably I mean, I, w- I was in 14 hours of classes a week. I don't know how many extra hours I was in the dojo, but I was in classes 14 hours a week. Would uh, you say you had a karate obsession? I, I would say that I did. <laughs> uh, so, and um, welcome to the show. There you Great. go. <laughs> Roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> Buzzing. Um, and 
so you know, I did that for two years. Um, very quickly climbed into uh, instructing as just an assistant. Um, you know, helping out a, a white belt, figure out something here and there, and moving on up to eventually helping with uh, an entire class. Um, worked my way up to uh, third Q brown belt uh, in that system. And then uh, about two years in, I moved to Arizona for work. And when I did that, didn't have any uh, karate schools that I could really attend based on my work schedule and where I live. Um, the schedule was prone to change at some point, so I knew I'd have the option eventually, but for the first two years that I lived in Arizona, um, I trained in a judo school, Heart Judo down in Mesa, Arizona, um, but there was no karate school that I could attend regularly, so I just trained uh, by myself, did a bunch of research. That's the time frame where I found uh, people like Ian Abernathy, um, Mario McKenna, uh, Joe Swift's work on the internet, a variety of different people who put out material online. Um, and that kind of got me more interested in the practical side of karate and looking at things from that particular perspective. So once my schedule did change, I started looking for a school that would fit that um, and found my instructor, uh, Richard Pogue, uh, who at the time uh, worked for his parents, um, uh, but very shortly thereafter, uh, started his own dojo, um, and I trained with him until he passed away in 2017, and uh, I've continued to train uh, mostly kind of on my own Ronin style a little bit. Um, since then, uh, I helped out at that uh, dojo that he started kind of keeping things going there for uh, another two years or so, um, and then uh, kind of left them on their, uh, on their path and went on mine. Oh, oh yeah, I, I didn't know. That. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things that I wanted to touch on because that's where uh, karate obsession I knew about, but I didn't peruse as much. But when you guys started doing the Waza Wednesday work, uh, that's when I kind of started uh, really, really cluing in on you uh, and what's going on. And, and uh, you and, and Sensei Pogue were doing some some pretty interesting stuff. And I, I don't know if you remember, but you and I were talking about maybe doing a seminar or joining your seminars that, that you had. And that was right before you guys went to San Diego and, and, and yeah. you lost him. And that's pretty sad uh, uh, because I really wanted to meet him and, and you. And again, again, kicking myself because I missed uh, a really interesting opportunity. Uh, and so I guess probably that, that's a bit of news that I didn't know that, that you kind of branched. So that was one of the things I wanted to get into because like, you know, I don't know if you heard our interview a few years ago with the karate culture guys yeah. But we've heard it lots of times where, you know, someone's like sensei retires or passes away mm -hmm. or moves away. And then people have to like, what do you do? Yeah. They either give up on their training mm -hmm. or they thrive and, and, and they grow. So, I mean, I guess probably how did that, his passing, you know, throw you and then how did you recover from that? Yeah. Well, um, you know, when he started Peaceful Warrior Martial Arts with um, with his partner Tiffany, uh, they, you know, started in this little church, renting space, and I had taken one or maybe two classes with him before he started that, and then moved uh, to follow him, and so I got to kind of see the whole thing grow and, and evolve, and um, I helped out wherever I could, mostly on um, online <laughs> aspects of things, but. Um, 
I was a, a ready demonstration dummy too, so that helped. Uh-huh. Out. Um, but you know, he had a very particular teaching style, and he had just kind of a remarkable understanding of how things worked um, from a martial perspective in general, and he had a practical focus. He kind of walked the line of still following the the way that the system was put together by the organization and how we're supposed to do things, and these are the pieces of curriculum that are required, and still trying to get every practical piece he could out of that because the practical side was kind of his focus. And he still, you know, loved competition and all these other things. So he's a very well-rounded person from, from that perspective. He looked at every aspect of it and tried to get something from it. Um, and that's not something that you find very often. Um, and the fact that, you know, I was in it for the practical side of things and he had that was awesome. And we got along really well and, and, uh, his teaching style worked really well for me. So that kind of shaped my evolution, you know, beyond just the people who sort of helped me build the foundation when I was in Illinois, everything after that, uh, you know, was all him. So I had, I developed over time this very particular sense of how karate should be. And he and I talked a lot about the things that, uh, you know, we would change if we could or remove if we could. Um, and, you know, he, he had also said that when, when he joined the organization, he wasn't part of the organization that we were in because of the organization. He was in it because of the fact that's where the person he wanted to learn from was, ah. um, you know, and that he was loyal to that person, the person, not the organization, but, but it wasn't about the organization. Right. So, you know, if his sensei went somewhere else, he'd go there too. It, it didn't matter to him what organization it was. Um, and, you know, when he passed away, uh, I wanted to keep his legacy going and I was helping out with, uh, the dojo and, and, uh, I was actually, although a lot of people kind of think I was the, the front man, um, next guy uh, and I, and I was from a certain <laughs> perspective, but I was not the, uh, the highest ranking person there by any means. Um, when he passed away, we had, um, you know, two sixth dons and a fifth don that were still, you know, teaching actively at the dojo. And um, I, I lowly need on. So, I, you know, rank structure wise, th- there were people more senior than me and more experienced than me. Um, so a lot of people kind of made the assumption that I was taking over the dojo, which I never oh. did. Um, you know, I, I helped out teaching classes, but so did everybody else. Um, uh, but, it, you know, tried to keep everything going and, and uh, they are still going actually. Um, but after a while, you know, without him being there, it's one of those things where nobody teaches quite like him. Mm-hmm. Nobody teaches the kinds of things that he does. Every, all the other instructors have their own backgrounds and different experiences and preferences and things like that. Um, and, you know, none of it was quite, what I was used to learning from him or what I wanted to learn and work on and, um, or or trained in the way that he did. And it was something that I wanted to continue those things uh, as much as I could. But I also felt like I didn't want to deal with all of the politics that were coming up 
with the organization and things like that. What? Uh, this is the first I've heard of this in martial arts. Right. right. Oh, yeah. Martial arts. Um, but, you know, it, it's one thing when you've got a, an instructor who kind of shields all of his yeah. students from that. And then for him to go away and then you have to see all this as you're trying to kind and of... You have to put up with the BS. Yeah. And, and you get to see more than you were meant to see, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and... <laughs> The man behind the curtain, as they say. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah. And then it's it's also just a matter of, you know, all those conversations we had of things we would change or things we would remove. You know, I was, again, loyal to him and not the organization. I didn't join the organization I was a part of, be, you know, because of the organization. It was just because that's where the instructor was that I wanted to learn from. And right. without him being there, there wasn't anything to keep me there unless there was another instructor that I wanted to be directly under and he he's a hard person to replace you know you're not going to replace him ever um and then to try and find somebody that you want to follow after that is a little difficult mm -hmm. so yeah and, and so that's the you know that's the thing that's a, hence the question is because like so many people just like throw up their hands and go like ah i'm done yeah you know? and they just they just quit they quit training you know completely and uh, but I think it shows uh, the true character of whoever it is, you know, the martial arts that they uh, we've, we've talked about on the show before about, you know, uh, being fed and feeding yourself. Right. And as a martial artist, there's a certain uh, tipping point where you should stop being expecting to be fed and you should start trying to feed yourself. And, you know, it, it sounds, you probably crossed that line uh, quite a while ago. Uh, but then it was now put to the test and like, you know, the guys at Cardi Culture was kind of put to the test guys like, uh, yep. my close personal, personal friend, friend Ian Abernathy, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> he, he kind of made the decision and it seemed like it was kind of a natural sort of progression away. It, it wasn't so jarring, uh, as having to be, you know, thrown through the crucible of like, I lost my instructor in my school. You at least, you know, had a, a dojo still going and stuff. So how did, how did you negotiate that sort of moving away yeah. and then also i guess probably watch for the future for you uh so for the most part i mean i just sat down and had a conversation uh with them about at the time i was actually um supposed to move to another city here in arizona um that ended up falling through so that threw a whole bunch of uh just chaos at me but um it, it was something where i was already going to be moving um and i had kind of this idea that i'd start my own program um, and that was sort of a good time to do it if you're going to move anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I started that process and got things moving and I, I set a schedule out of, okay, I'm, I'll, you know, I'll keep helping out with classes until this time. Um, after that, I really got to focus on getting everything moved and whatnot. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I left it open to where if they needed me to help out here and there for something, I could schedule some time to, to make the trip over or what have you. But uh, uh, at least on a regular basis, I was, I was not going to be there anymore. Um, and as far as what things look like going forward, it's, I mean, things got messed up between the, uh, the move falling through and then the uh, COVID-19 thing going on so not starting the program just yet um i got everything all ready to go for it you know like logo and facebook pages and business licenses and all that wow and, you know got that all ready to go before everything fell through 
Um, well, thank goodness it was it was before and not like a week after, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, we have a. Oh, great! I had one class. Oh, right. <laughs> and now right. I've got rent due. One of our instructors in our federation, he just in San Antonio, rented his space, started getting built yeah. out, the whole shoot match, and and so. Uh. He like last week was like the, the last inspectors are here to like check the electricity and blah 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 and then I'll be open, yeah you know and uh, so yeah that's that's a hard so I guess that's probably you know a good segue onto you know all your social media stuff I mean Wazawindu is great uh, we'd like to get into like how you started uh, doing karate obsession but then um, further like how uh, in this time you know you're still putting out some videos and, and, and stuff on YouTube. How is that affecting a your training, and is that are you getting any more, yeah. you know, requests for material? You know, it's something I was I was specifically going to ask as well. Um, it it sounds to me like throughout your history you have done um, some uh, self motivated kind of home training, uh, and I wonder if during those times it seems like that that time is now for everybody. <laughs> so. Uh, I guess uh, is there anything that you can that you can share to say okay this is this is the routine that I used or these are the resources that I used or or, or something like that. So for me, because yeah, I, I had I did this for two years. I, I still mm -hmm. got to do judo during that time, but as far okay. as karate went, I, I was you know having to self motivate on that. Mm -hmm. And what I found was helpful for me during that, and and even still is the fact that it's a continuous learning process yep. it's not a workout necessarily it can be but i find that if i'm training just to work out i'm way less motivated right than if yeah. i'm training to learn, learn. Or figure something out mm -hmm. so doing research and whether that's um, you know historical and cultural research or whether that's um, looking at videos of what other people are doing, but trying to figure out new aspects of the art yeah. then gives me inspiration to try and do different things and figure out how different things might be done, how they might be applied and that sort of thing. And because you can keep adapting and changing each component that you're working on, it's never going to be the same every time mm -hmm. um, unless you, purposely try to make it that way right um, but the same thing every time gets boring so yeah. you know the the key to being able to repeat things is and, and you know keep up with things is doing it by stealth uh, as Ian Abernathy likes to say since we're throwing that throwing <laughs> um, repetition by stealth so it's just sort of tricking yourself into this you know habit of practice that is really just the same stuff but done differently each time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you can be excited about learning it, that makes it much easier to do. And it's not just a workout then of, okay, I've got to rep out 500 punches now. Uh, yeah. Right. There's a time and place for that, but most people aren't motivated by that. Right? No. So. Yeah. I mean, that's what I found with uh, our classes you know, in the matrix is uh, the first like week or two people were kind of like willing to let go and just do kihon and like do their kata a couple times and and then i could sense a little like okay what are we gonna do you right know? hum what's we're next gonna do kihon you know uh or you know or kabuto or whatever 
and then you know trying to work some sort of frame of reference and it was so for me uh, i think we you know we were talking about this in the green room uh about like like i was just like pinging like okay what's a core part of our system mm-hmm. and for us it's tai sabak you know getting off the center line and, and and whatnot so like for the black belts i was like just pinging on that like you know everything we do we're going to do not linear mm-hmm. you know we're going to do it with body change and we're going to do it focusing on your feet and you know we're going to you know focus on using your knuckles where you need barely visualizing your target and then like for the q ranks it was you know not just dropping in and, and getting your your um your velocity you know and your momentum going is like you know kind of check your momentum and keep it tight keep it in close sort of in a, in a, in a practical sense of like you're being attacked and so you're not going to have all this room because you don't you've got your living room you know or you know whatever so i had one guy in a class the other day he actually was in his room you know his roommates were in the other room and he had to open the closet door so he could like do his kicks <laughs> and whatnot and i'm like that's what i'm talking about you know like you need right. to adjust to do that you know and that's a, a key component so but it's the same stuff yeah yeah you just, you just got to do it differently because and as i've touched upon and and, and know i'm sure you have some thoughts on this is for me is everything I've heard about, you know, old Okinawa was like, you had this much room in your dojo or you were outside. It's like, you didn't have all these big high, you know, dojos yeah. and nice wood floors and blah, blah, blah. So, and you didn't have a bazillion, you had two kata and that's what you did. You know? yeah. And you just tore that up. In, in a so, glorified living room. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very often. So, I mean, it's again, the cycle of, of karate going on. So have you been having uh, like requests for material from, the inner worlds? Uh, I have. Um, so uh, I have done a couple web sessions. Um, uh, we did one on uh, Pasai Dai um, from the Shorinru system that I do, which is Tawada Pasai. Some people call it Matsumura Pasai, but that's another story. Uh, and uh, I did a session on uh, creating a kata, uh, which was a lot of fun. And I've had a couple uh, people kind of jump in there asking about seminars. So I've got some that are kind of in the works and one that's already uh, scheduled now for the uh, first weekend of August up in uh, Flint, Michigan at the Heian Karate Do run by Paul Musolf Sensei. Um, the plan is to run through uh, Nahanchi applications, probably Pinan Heian applications as well, and a variety of skill building drills, things like that. Uh, so I'm excited for that because I haven't gotten to uh, to teach a uh, group in a while <laughs> with <laughs> yeah, that's everything going on. Um, I've uh, done little, you know, private sessions here and there, um, but uh, nothing group based. Uh, and I did host uh, a seminar recently with Ulf Carlson Shihan uh, going over Kishimoto. Uh, so just before the quarantine stuff. <laughs> Um, so did you say, uh, uh, creating your own kata? Yes, I did. <laughs> so t- tell me about that. What, what is, what, what, I, I mean, are there, are there guidelines or is it just move around the floor and do different techniques? There are definitely guidelines. So, <laughs> um, and you know, kind of like anything, I think this is all much easier for somebody who's used to teaching people and just like being self-motivated mm-hmm. to train, I think is mm-hmm. much easier when you teach people because essentially you are your student at that point. So students who have no teaching experience, it's harder for them to figure out what to do. Um, And so you kind of need some guidance. So for most people to try and make a kata, they sort of put together movements, however, and and cool, it's in a pattern and I ended in the same spot, it's a kata. Um, (laughs) But 
Yeah, I find that kind of interesting because, like, whenever uh, you know, I visited uh, non-traditional or eclectic schools, and you could see there's a kata that they're doing, mm-hmm. and you can you can just look at it and go, like, they made that up, right? Because it yeah. just it just something just does not look as polished and or organic as you know old school kata. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's probably because they're not following any of the guidelines that you really should follow, um, and you can basically take a look at the guidelines that are already in place for doing bunkai for you know breaking down a kata and figuring out applications for it and alternative applications and things like that well if you're going to follow those after the fact you might as well be following those in advance yeah. right so um you know if you look at uh you know kaisai no genri that was outlined uh, by toguchi for example uh you know that's got things about uh, the angle of the kata indicating the direction you're going. Mabuni said that as well. Um, it's got, you know, pieces about if you're touching your body, that's where you're touching the opponent. It's got things about, you know, advancing and retreating and um, a variety of different things. So you've got some classical examples from people like Toguchi, Mabuni, Motobu, even Funakoshi, and, and that, that have written out these things that kind of indicate to you uh, what the applications of the kata might be or how to figure them out. So you should follow those when you're making your own kata. And right. you're not making the kata based on the movements, the solo movements. You're, you should be making the kata as if they were all these different drills that you wanted people to learn. And then you're putting them together in an order that kind of makes sense so that they feed one into the next. Um, or at least build skills to go to the next one. Um, so with all that in, in place, you go, okay, well, I'm not even starting my kata with just me. I have a partner for this. Ah. So you go, okay, uh, what do I want my kata to do? You've got different options for how you can approach the kata. You can approach them as just a collection of techniques um, that don't necessarily need to be connected together at all. Mm-hmm. You can approach them as every technique can lead into the next one as some sort of a failure cascade. So Ah. if this doesn't work, move on to this. If this doesn't work, move on to this. Interesting. Uh, You can have it be a theme. So, okay, these aren't all, these are all individual drills. They're not all necessarily connected, but they all follow the same theme. Either they're dealing with the same type of attack or they are dealing with the same type of response to the attack or they're using similar uh, techniques to you know, counter control or defeat the opponent in some way. So you can approach I like that. doing it differently, but you decide on how you're doing it. And then you go, okay, partner, I want you to attack me like this. And let's figure out uh, what we can do with that. Right. Realistically, what works. Um, and then after you figured out something that you like that works, you go, okay, what's that look like without a person? Mm-hmm. There's your first move of your cutlet. Yeah, that's nice. You, you know, one of the things I, I, I really like about that idea is um, I, I think that um, martial arts are so much more than kick, punch, block. And I think especially with the, the, the new movements of MMA and uh, reality-based self-defense and all that jazz, they get they get so focused on kick punch block uh, that they they don't understand. Uh, I'm using very general terms <laughs> that 
um, you know, going to a traditional martial arts class is, is more than just the techniques and the idea of being able to put together your own kata and doing a theme based approach or, you know, focusing on this thing or that thing more than anything else. I mean, the, the expectation would not be that someone's going to walk away and their kata is going to live for a hundred years. It's, this was a f the fun and engaging mental exercise to look at some aspects of the stuff that I'm doing that I may not have discovered before. You know, I, um, we used to have a uh, extracurricular class that was um, uh, fight choreography. And uh, it was just fun, you know, but yeah. sometimes you'd also open something up and you'd discover, hey, this is something that I've never thought about before. And now that I'm trying to do it in a different way, I'm, I'm, I'm able to see aspects of my martial arts that I hadn't before. Absolutely. So I, I, I love the idea of, of being, of being creative. Uh, I, I have talked in the past of, of about um, doing, doing your, your kata in with different mental mindsets. So doing one really hard where you have a low center of gravity and doing one really doing the exact same kata, but do it soft or do it really slow or do it really fast, you know, and, and you start to, to pull things out of those discoveries and say, Oh, that's interesting. If I do this one fast, then I kind of get off balance for my next technique. Huh? Okay. And then you can kind of roll it from there. Yeah. So, it, that, uh, oh, go ahead, finish it. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm good. Okay, uh, well, because that's, uh, I kind of want to get uh, Noah's mm -hmm. take on, on, uh, on that whole like sort of the practical karate, you yeah, know, explosion, yeah. the boom. Um, you know, speaking from uh, because Noah's background is is an Okinawan system, and here's one of the things. This is what I've been seeing over the last few years is there's been a lot of people that are going like, oh my gosh, there's practical karate, and Oh my gosh, it's not meant to be, you know, three feet away and, you know, do this. And like, right. oh my God, he could take, you know, <laughs> he does something and, and there are all these guys and, and I, I, my system, you know, for lack of a better term, is like an older system, right? You know, it's like, it's not, Matsumura Seto kind of went over that way a little bit while everybody else went this way. But, um, but what I'm seeing stuff is like when I go to like mostly Okinawan schools, and then I'll go and I'll train with Shotokan guys or Taekwondo guys. And then I hear all these people talking about this. I'm like, this is not new. You're not discovering anything. You may be rediscovering or uncovering, you know, but you just didn't, just because it wasn't presented to you. It's not like you're, you're reinventing the wheel. Um, and so like there's this been an explosion and people are putting a whole lot of work, which uh, is great. Um, but, you know, is it getting, is the face getting cluttered? Is it getting full? I mean, how do you, how do you see that like it blowing up and like everyone has a YouTube channel now and everyone. Right. That's here. a good question. So, oh. And you're an early adopter, so you should, you know. <laughs> uh, I can understand a concern for some sort of, you know, market saturation, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, especially because you're going to start seeing, and you can already, you know, find it as you start looking through these, you're going to see a lot of things that are very similar. Um, as long as nobody starts doing the, hey, no, I came up with that before yeah. you did uh, uh, kind of thing, you know, because like you said, it's not really that they're, you know, 
figuring out brand new things so much as they are rediscovering pieces that were there originally and they lost track of. Um, so nobody's creating stuff, really. They're, they're just figuring things out. Um, and I'm, so I'm not really worried about uh, you know, too many people getting involved in that sort of thing. I will say that there is also a difference between practicing, uh, you know, old, older karate or Okinawan karate um, and having it be practical at the same time. Because you can learn an Okinawan system that is a perfectly traditional Okinawan system and it doesn't focus on sport, you know, kumite and, and kata demonstrations and and have it still not be practical because the practical part of it isn't just the material. Practical part of it is right. how you train the material. Yeah. So you might be learning great material, but if you're never working it in a way that develops practical skill, it's only developing technical skill and understanding, then you know, you're, you're learning something that you can pass on, sure, but you're not learning something you can really apply, which is the practical part of it. So it's to me, a thing where a lot of the people who are going into the practical karate movement are, uh, you know, people from more modern systems, so to speak. You know, the, like you mentioned, Shotokan, uh, Taekwondo, Kyokushin, the, the newer systems that were mostly set up very much kind of sport oriented, which is fine for what they're doing. Um, but a lot of those people, especially as they get older, decide that the sport thing isn't so much what they're interested in. They want to get back to the roots of things. And that's where they start to find the practical karate and the Okinawan karate material. Um, but it is not just a matter of, hey, you know, I went to this Okinawan school and they've got all those joint locks too. Yeah, but if they still do those joint locks just from a, you know, lunge punch where the guy stands still afterward and you know, pulls his hand back to his hip and doesn't do anything with it and <laughs> and you know, they never try it against resistance it might be the the right material but they're not practicing it in a practical way and i think that generally that growing practical mindset can be helpful for okinawan systems too to reevaluate what they're doing and go okay it's not that the material we have is bad but we've been approaching this in a very sterile way Right. It gives you a good technical understanding of how this technique is supposed to work, but it doesn't give you a practical understanding of how that technique is supposed to work. If that so, so, so what are your thoughts about uh, people that you know basically just burn the burn the burn the house down behind them? You know, they they go you know because my joke was, and Dan and I, I mentioned it on the show before, is like you scratch a, a Krav Maga instructor, you're going to find a sixth degree in Taekwondo that got punched. Yeah, and, uh, and some didn't work. Yeah, uh, and now the Taekwondo guys are are, are yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you, you I can hear the, the keyboards. Uh, you find the Aikido guy, like uh, there you Roka, go, who who just decided he couldn't make uh, Aikido work and and decided to leave and, and do MMA. And I know, I know, they, they, their heads are shaved and they got their spider cone knife and their tactical stuff and they're taking yeah. Krav and, and RBSD. And yeah. I, I mean, do do you? I, I think that's unhealthy for for me as as like you know, because everything that you just did for good or ill that's the foundation that you're on and yeah. all the concepts are pretty much there in all the martial arts now whether or not they got practiced or whether or not they got pressure tested whether or not they were uh effective in the beginning that's that's all hearsay you get still that's a period of your life that you have behind you that you probably should continue to leverage you know i mean do you think that's a healthy mindset or do you do you think i i don't want to necessarily say that it's bad because I, I understand the appeal 
so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. I can understand finally rejecting the sunk cost fallacy of, of I've put so much time into this, so I have yeah. to keep doing it. I, I can understand the desire to go, no, I, I reject that. This doesn't work for me and I'm going to go a different route. And that's not necessarily bad, but I think that it's healthy for people who do that to kind of reevaluate why they made that. There you go. Yeah. At a later point. At the very least. When it comes down to it, all the martial arts that exist were originally derived in some capacity from real fighting, real Mm self-defense, something to that effect. Um, And then it was changed and evolved over time for different purposes. What that purpose was is going to define a lot of its practice, uh, you know, practices and and training methods and things like that. So, you know, if you look at something like Aikido, because I used that that reference with uh, Rokas, who's who's very popular. It's something where it was developed, yes, as a martial art, but kind of with a really, really heavy emphasis on the art and the focus on Mm-hmm. Not just personal development, but yeah. technical study of, of this particular concept. So it's a very, very isolated, uh, encapsulated study of things. So if you go, oh, no, that whole thing doesn't work. I can't make it work and, ah. and abandon it. What I think you'll find later on is that when you start looking at some of the things that were in it, from a conceptual perspective and not a technical perspective, which I understand in a, in a situation like that is hard to do because you've right. on that technical learning. When you start looking at it conceptually and you start doing something else for a while, at some point you're going to realize, oh, I'm still doing that. It just mm-hmm. doesn't look anything like the right. technical version that I did. Um, you know, he posted a thing about how um, iriminage doesn't work and you can't make it work. And, you know, here's a video of me with a BJJ instructor trying to make it work. Meanwhile, I do something that's the same concept pretty frequently in resistant training, in, in stand-up grappling uh, and talk of the match type training. But it doesn't look anything like it, uh, you know, from a technical perspective. I'm not doing... Uh, you know, a, a parry pass into this arm bar thing where they stand up and then I flow underneath the chin and, and do this very flowy thing the way that they do it. I'm not right. really doing it at all the way they do it. Mm-hmm. But the overall concept of what I'm doing, I'm getting an arm under their chin, tipping their head back, pushing their back out of the way so that they fall. You know, conceptually, it's the same idea. Yeah. It's just applied very differently. And then, of course, I trained it with progressive resistance to get to where I could do that. And so I think that when people leave things, if they eventually kind of, if they keep training, if they don't just leave things and say, I'm done completely, if they go and train in something else, I think that eventually they can circle back and look at things from a more open-minded conceptual perspective and go, no, I still do a bunch of that stuff. And I think in hindsight, you could then go, well, I could have fixed that then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I've, I've, I've seen um, that, especially people like we'll, we'll take Aikido as the example is that even when they move on to other martial arts, their flow and body mechanics are, are really pretty amazing actually, because that's what they have been hounding over and over again is, you know, the body mechanics and the flow. 
Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention is I have a, I have a kind of a bugaboo about the term practical karate uh, uh, oh, because, <laughs> because, well, it implies that all other karate is not practical. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I think, and, and I've kind of, Hang on, let me I, let me let me dial and get uh, my close personal friend Ian Abernathy on the Yeah, we, he and I he and I can have a chat about that later. Uh, um, uh, no, but I, I think that what uh, a lot of people miss nowadays is the fact that I, I, here's a good example: the um, what was it, Kobudo? Mm-hmm. That, uh, yeah. weapons. How often do you have a sword? Right. Mm-hmm. So y- you Don't could. Right. <laughs> I already had to take Ian, Ian down on this, and I'll, I'll take you two down, Wing Chun boy. It. Um, it 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 implies that taking that martial art is useless if you never have a sword with you, and it really makes me crazy uh, that, especially even in the situation that we just talked about. You know, I I personally knew some know someone they took they took Taekwondo for a long time. They were, uh, they realized that a lot of the things that they were, were being taught weren't, weren't quote unquote practical. And so they got very disappointed and almost depressed that the five, six years that they had done this art felt meaningless and that they hadn't gained anything from it. And I am definitely of the the attitude or opinion that there are many, many more things that are valuable about the martial arts rather than kick, punch, block. Um, so I, I think that as we've gotten more quote unquote practical, um, especially because of MMA and things like that, that Unfortunately, um, people aren't just willing to say, look, that's part of what we do here, but that's not the focus of what we do here. So when you walk into an Aikido class for the first time and you know you have the instructor going, oh, you'll be able to take down three people, four people, no problem, you'll master everything and you'll be amazing fighter. Instead, they could say, look, that's not really what we focus on. We focus on discipline and spirituality and, uh, you know, all of these other things, community, stuff like that. Is that some, is that one aspect of our martial arts that you can explore? Sure. Of course. Is it our main point? No, not really. And I, uh, I of course think that all of those things are good aspects and that, you know, anybody can train a martial art for any variety of reasons and it doesn't have to be, because they want practical self-defense skills. Right. You know, that I didn't get into it for that. You know, I, I got mm-hmm. into. It. I was a nerd who wanted to swing a Japanese sword around. You know, <laughs> so you can get into it for all sorts of reasons. And I think that the key is that instructors need to be honest with the focus and intent of the training, because you will have people say, "Oh, you know, well, this will teach you self-defense." Meanwhile, they don't have anybody ever attack you with a realistic attack. They don't have realistic responses to those attacks. They no pressure to... testing. Right. And so it's, it's perfectly fine to teach a martial art that isn't focused on the practical side. Yes. It's not a problem, but you should be honest about that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's not even that they don't have anything that can't cross over. 
Mm-hmm. Like you can say, hey, you know, these these are things that if you wanted, you could explore for self-defense purposes, but you would need to do them differently mm-hmm. or you would need to do some additional training, things like that. I, I don't see a problem with it if you're honest about it. Yeah. So really, I think that the whole practical karate movement as a term is more to put a specific label on that is the primary intent of this particular practice. Um, It's not that it doesn't have the other pieces, but the primary focus is we're teaching you practical things you can use. You want to learn it for other reasons. It's totally fine. You know, I've, I've taught people who their goal is to compete. That's what they want to do. I hate competing, (laughs) you know, (laughs) But, but I can still teach things that are applicable to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not teaching, you know, quote unquote, practical karate, you can still teach things that are applicable to self-defense, but you should be honest about how effective that's going to be. If you're doing, you know, a self-defense technique at the end of one class every other week, and, you know, it's against that straight lunge punch where the guy freezes at the end and you never do any, uh, you know, resistant training. I love when, pun- when people punch me like that. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I do. And they always attack me from four directions and just. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's outstanding. Oh, the eight uh, directions is even better. The eight, oh. I've been trained for this. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, I don't see it as being an issue, you know, either way, as long as you're honest about it. And that is really the key is everybody who runs a school wants to be able to market it as broadly as possible you know, to get the most students they can to keep the doors open so they can keep teaching, which I understand. But that's the tough part is the, the business versus the, um, uh, I don't know what you would call it, the integrity of yeah. your yeah. instructions of the martial arts, because it is a business at the end of the day for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and it can be done, but it is, it is something that, um, you know, you really got to walk a line on because yeah. you, you do have the business considerations of being able to pay rent and keep the lights on yep. and make a Absolutely. You can't teach the next guy if you're out of business. Right. And, and I don't think that it's bad for an instructor to get paid for their time and not just their time, but the time they've put in up to this point to be able to teach you what they're teaching you. Right. I think that's perfectly valid. So I don't necessarily believe in the, you know, all martial arts instructors should not make a living off martial arts. But if you're going to make a living off martial arts, you need to be able to do it honestly and if you can't do it honestly you shouldn't be making a living off of it it's kind of the way that i look and 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 that that well i was just talking to somebody about this uh the other day about um about rank and 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 whatnot um because really the only people that can truly um monitor that is the person themselves right i mean they need to be honest with their training they need to be honest with their uh you know their background they need to be honest with themselves and you know we're talking about we we had that episode you know many years ago of you know 20 year shodans or multi-style masters right some guy trained like 16 different styles and creates his own system and becomes you know a soke or or whatever but outside the martial arts no one has context to that right and so you know and and generally when people are doing that they're opening up a sort of professional thing they they're doing it to make money so you know that's their goal And, and but yeah. It's, up to, it's up to their soul whether they're going to be honest now whether yeah. or not they're what they're teaching is you know legit or not it doesn't matter it's just you know like are you being a salesperson or are you being a martial arts instructor 
Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's always been like the sort of thing is like, you can't make people do that. You know? Uh, well, what I wanted to ask was then, so, you know, had you put any thought or do you have any, do you see any trends of like, like what's the next thing? Cause everything's the next thing, right? It was, you know, karate and then, you know, it was kickboxing and then, you know, like then jitsu had its time and, you know, and <laughs> yes. then MMA came up, you know, and UFC and then Kamaga and reality based. And so now it's practical karate for, for lack of a better term. So, you know, what do you think is probably maybe the next thing on the, on the block or do you see practical karate kind of blowing up? I think it's going to, I, I think it's going to roll back over. Like, yeah, people are going to stand up their curriculum. You know, they're going to, people are going to have their, their drills and it's again going to kind of, you know, ripple out and water down, whatever you want to call it out. And then there's going to be a revolution again. So what's the next revolution? Yeah. I think MMA is still, you know, the, the sort of top dog as far as current popular martial arts overall. Um, but if you kind of look closer within the MMA community and fan base, what you're finding now as it's been developing is that uh, people are starting to specialize again. So, yeah. uh, you know, at the very beginning, everybody was specialized in things and they threw them all in a ring and tried to figure out what was the best, which is <laughs> yeah. an asinine thing to try and do in the first place. Um, because everything is, you know, built for a different context. So then they kind of unified that over time and it became, you know, MMA as a style, so to speak. And you got this kind of typical, everybody does boxing, Muay Thai, Jiu Jitsu and wrestling. Those are the four pillars yep. of MMA as a system. Um, and that became you know, it went through stages because at first it was, oh, hey, the Muay Thai guys are kicking everybody's butt. Let's do that. Oh, no, the boxers are kicking everybody's butt. Let's do that. The wrestlers are kicking everybody's butt. Let's do that. So it kind of added up over time. And then you got to this more generalized MMA, which is what it's been for a while now. And you can go to an MMA gym and learn MMA. You don't have to learn all those individual pieces. But we're finding now people complaining, oh, well, you know, they don't really know how to box properly or their, uh, their weight <laughs> like pinch is not good enough or their, you know, jujitsu game is not on point and they, people are starting to kind of refocus and re-specialize a little bit. And I tend to find that as people develop as martial artists, they kind of do that too, because they start out very specific. These are the little pieces that you need. Then they generalize from there and get into just all sorts of stuff. And then eventually they reach a point where they narrow down to the things that they like the best and that they feel most comfortable with. And so they specialize again, um, which I think is how a lot of martial arts actually ended up being developed <laughs> and, and, you know, getting specialized. Um, and, you know, if you look at the origins of wrestling and, and boxing, you know, they were originally part of Pancration and in, you know, Greece where it was striking and grappling and eventually people decided that they needed to be better at specifically one piece of that and kind of split it apart. So I think it, it's probably going to be this kind of intersecting wave type of thing. Uh, yeah, that's, I've, cycle. I've, I've had a couple of students that, you know, well, one of them, he doesn't train with me anymore because he, you know, various other things, but we were actually just talking online the other day about, you know, he's, he's like, you know, I need more, you know, I want more ground stuff and, and i'm like well then go study with a jiu-jitsu guy man you know i mean 
I can tell you some stuff, but it's within right. the context of what I do. But, you know, but he was going like, well, I need, because if I get attacked by a jujitsu guy, and I'm like, when are you going to get attacked by a jujitsu guy? I've known and a lot of jujitsu. And if you do get attacked by a jujitsu guy, tap out and then ask him who his instructor was and then tell his instructor he's beating people up for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's why I said like, like the, the ultimate counter to being attacked by a grappler is just, and they'll let go and you just run off. Yeah. <laughs> but, the funniest thing to me is people's insistence on training for if they get attacked by another martial artist. Right. That, like, that, what are you doing that another martial artist is going to get so upset with you? But that, because another martial artist, you, as soon as you find out you do martial arts, regardless of whether they're the same or not, should result in a conversation. It'll be a geek, a geek session. You, you know, it's interesting because uh, Paul and I have talked about this before too, is, um, you know, this idea of who are you training to fight? Are you, are you training to fight the untrained or are you training to fight the trained? And uh, especially uh, one of my bugaboos about Wang Chung, for example, is that uh, you essentially train to fight Wing Chun practitioners. Right. <laughs> you only practice against this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that that to some degree, I, I remember one of the, when I was very, very young um, and I first started helping, I was taking a, a Hapkido class and I first started helping the instructor with new students and a new student came to spar with me and we got to the center of the mat and she came at me with the flailing arms technique. And honestly, I had no idea what to do. <laughs> so, oh, I, I mean, what do you think about that as far as training? doesn't work if you don't attack somebody, right? Uh, right. right. <laughs> training, training to fight the trained or training to fight the untrained? That's one of those things where, again, I get the appeal Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the general explanation for that is, well, if you can fight a trained person, you can fight right. an untrained person, mm. which you'd think that to a point mm -hmm. is, is somewhat true. Yep. Um, it is more difficult to fight a trained person, you know, when you're following specific rules to try and win a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you can land a punch on somebody who knows how to properly evade a punch, then you can land a punch on somebody who doesn't that, you know, there, there are certain yeah, things that's that excellent point. Yeah. You know, there's things that cross over, but at the same time, um, if you rely on feints to be able to punch that person, uh, that yes, uh, an untrained person does not have trained responses to feints. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you train only against trained, you know, roundhouse kicks and and jab cross and and things like that and then somebody comes at you with the you know crazy windmilling arms mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it looks different and it feels different yeah. and uh, then of course that's not even counting the fact that you know a competitive arena and the adrenaline response to that totally different energy different than yeah. the adrenal response to a self-defense situation yeah um, because whether you admit it or not your subconscious understands this is not the same. The stakes yeah. are way higher. Yeah. Just because this person's untrained doesn't mean they couldn't kill you. Right. Um, so whereas you've got somebody to make sure you're safe in another context. And so there is definitely crossover. And if you can fight a trained person, you definitely stand a better chance of fighting. Absolutely. Than if you didn't have any training at all. Mm -hmm. But the context is still different. And if you want to be able to reliably defend yourself, that should probably be your focus. 
occasionally trying to beat other trained people is definitely beneficial, definitely healthy, has good uh, you know, advantages to that. But you've got to decide what your focus is and you've got mm -hmm. to be honest with yourself about what you're getting out of that. So, um, you know, if you, if you want to be good at beating other trained people, then you <laughs> focus on beating those trained people in the context that that's for. If you want to be able to defend yourself, there's going to be some carryover from that, but you should probably focus your training more on the realistic situations yeah. and attacks and, and not even just that, but the, the verbal component of all of this. Yeah. You know? So uh, you know, people get so mad about the way they are spoken to um, that doesn't generally happen when you're, you know, in a sanctioned martial arts competition, you're not getting, um, you know, shoved and yelled at, sworn at and, and insulted. And even that right off the bat will throw half of people's skills out the window. So. Do you, do you train on that as well? I mean, as far as, you know, I've, I've been in schools and things like that where they get somebody padded all up and then they will, they'll scream and yell at you and like just really make it a psychologically uh, difficult confrontation to, mm -hmm. to prep people for that kind of thing. Yeah. And I have done that, but it has been a while. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that my instructor would do, um, but didn't, didn't get uh, carried over quite yeah. so much. It's, it's a hard thing to, uh, to referee. So, yeah, it is. Um, yeah. You know, and if you're not comfortable with, you know, intervening in something like that as you're running it and making sure everybody's safe, then it's not something you should do. Um, so, but, you know, he would even, you know, okay, we're going to work gun disarms. Just bear in mind, this is a last ditch effort. If they want stuff, give them stuff, you know, right. that, keeping that context in mind. But okay, if you absolutely had to, um, okay, we'll work this gun disarm. But he would then walk around the class while you're doing this and he would take pads and smack them together to make a really oh, nice. loud banging sound. And you'd be surprised how many people just freeze as soon as that gunshot-like oh, yeah. uh -huh. sound happens. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that. And, and trying to train in ways where that is evident. Um, you know, even things like when you're training with uh, knives for anything, having the understanding that you're going to get cut is one thing. Using metal training knives they're blunt but still hurts oh they they still hurt it, it gives you it gives you a lot more awareness um i'd love to train with one of those shock knives sometime oh yeah but you know it, it's it's something that if you want to be prepared for a situation you need to try and emulate that situation as closely as you can without you know being incredibly dangerous to do right. if you're if you're putting yourself in more danger practicing the thing than you're likely to face on a you know yeah you know it's funny because that that just totally makes me think it's um the uh the psychology of two people practice fighting with two rubber knives is just 180 degrees if you had live blades oh, like yeah. i can't even imagine how scary it would be to stand in front of somebody else that has a live blade that that is genuinely trying to cut a three inch gash or yeah. a th you know a three foot gash in you. That's when I practice um, my running. Yeah. Right, so right. Where and and uh, you know some of, one of the things you said about like the gun techniques and, and the last ditch effort. Um, I, I the, the scenario that I think of is 
uh, stuck in an elevator with your family. Uh, yeah. Because that's, that's sort of like, okay, we're at worst case scenario here where yeah. you yep. cannot run no and you know, you have, you have people that you have to protect with you. So it's not just a matter of giving up. Yeah. And it is it is maximum dangerous at that point. But yeah, the the idea of live blades is is a very scary thing, especially if you know. I I would suggest that anyone um, interested, uh, if you have a if you have a live blade at home, take uh, get a roast from the market and hang it up and just take a swipe at it. And, and you'll see genuinely how much you would open somebody up uh, if, if you made the swing on them and, yeah. or vice versa. And, you know, there's the, the flip side of that, you know, the example you brought up. Yeah, I think probably everybody who, you know, is, you know, I guess you know, married or has kids or whatever, there should be like a flip side component to your training of like, it's not just you anymore. Right. You know, so... I mean, you know, you're carrying stuff, you're carrying kids, you got, you know, you're getting in and out of the car. There's all kinds of mm-hmm. a whirlwind of stuff going on. Plus you have to protect people. Uh, a few years ago, I had a friend of mine, uh, his son and my son were, were friends and they, you know, play together and he did martial arts. Cause again, like we were talking about, Oh, you do martial arts. And we started. <laughs> and then, uh, so we didn't care what the kids are doing anyway, but he came to my class and we trained for a while and he trained in, some guy do it who did Swai Chow, which is like Chinese Chinese wrestling. But uh-huh. I guess he was like the guy he trained with was like, you know, everyone's Super trying to intense. kill you all the ah. time. And anyway, so we were doing something about I think we were doing knife defense for something. And I, you know, or he asked about it. We were talking about it, and we said whatever. He says, "Oh, I jump in and stab him and cut him and cut, rip his spleen out and throw it on dinner." And I'm like, "Who's watching your son, man?" And yeah. and he just looked at me like. Math does not compute. Oh, because <laughs> I, I think he said there was like you know a guy in the parking lot yelling at you know road rage kind of, and I was just like, well, who's watching Henry? You know, who's taking care of your kid? You know, I mean, you. Whoops. What if they've got a buddy? You know that there's that whole like ladder of you know I do the five levels of self defense you know kind of thing. It's like where's your escape? You know where where, mm-hmm. and, and and his training from his instructor. And, you know, again, he didn't feed himself like we were talking about earlier. Didn't incorporate that. It yeah. was all like, we're the baddest thing ever. and We're going to destroy you. And, you know, aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. Stop the groin. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. Which has, then, it, it has its time and place, but yeah. Yeah. It's it, fun it, at times to train like oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? I mean, you know, we would include though, you know, we would include in our training, you know, protecting somebody else from mm-hmm. the, we do scenario drills where you have to protect somebody. You have to get somebody out of a place, um, you know. And anytime we were doing any sort of a self-defense uh, scenario exercise, usually at least once per session, my instructor would get asked a question about something, and his response would be, "Why didn't you run?" Yeah, because yeah. it would end up being, "Oh, they're too far away for me to do this." Like, perfect, run. And that, that was actually what he intended for you to be training was, oh, as soon as there's enough of a gap, they can't reach you anyway, and you can get a run. Go, go. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I was watching a, a crowd my God school was next to the dance place where I was subletting, and they were doing knife defenses, and, and we had time between the class, and so I was watching. And they were doing a thing, and they did a knife takeaway, and the guy did a takeaway, and he jumped back like three feet, and then turned back around and reengaged. And I'm like, you're out. You're done. 
You've got, going, the, yeah, you, go. you've, got, you've got the weapon and you've got clearance. Why are you, you know, like, okay, that's the way to, well, you know, that, um, it, it, it's interesting that you bring that up because that's one of the, my bugaboos, speaking of that, Dan, yeah. is when everyone talks about like, oh, our karate is the ancient uh, art of the bodyguards, of the, you know, da 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 But then they immediately pivot and talk about combat. And, you know, I was in the military, granted it was the Navy and it was a submarine, so we didn't have a whole lot of combat. Uh, but, you know, we, or that we know of. But, um, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's, it's like, if you ever done any bodyguard work or personal protection work, you're not there to fight. No. <laughs> you're there to get your principal away. You know? Absolutely. And so, but that doesn't sell. Like, we'll teach you to run away with your, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, I so, just watched Fallen Angel. And uh, great movie, but... I'm guessing there is a lot more physical combat in that than any secret service person would yeah. ever want to engage in, yeah. you know, you, you train for it. Granted, you know, right. uh, we had, uh, you know, the uh, Shane Franklin who at the time ran the Marine martial art program. And one mm-hmm. of the things that he talked about was we don't, yeah, we train, we do throws, we do takedowns, we do submissions, blah, blah, blah. He said, but everything I do is so I can get back to my gun. Yeah. Because that's my and, job. And I was like, oh, contact. Yeah. And my understanding is also that that training forms a bond between the, the people that are training together. And it forms a mindset of discipline. And, you know, again, all of these other benefits that martial arts brings that has nothing to do with kick punch block. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think that that's that to me. Um, <laughs> when when you think of the benefits of martial arts not having put you in those situations in the first place, that's the real self-defense is yeah. simply not being there in the first place. I think that's probably a good place to wrap this up. It, it, it's been an hour and I don't want to take any more of, of Noah's time. Tell, uh, Noah, it's great to virtually meet you. Uh, it's it's you You've been doing really great work uh, for a lot of years and we look forward to more. Uh, Maybe someday we'll all be able to exchange fluids again. Yes, exactly. I know. I just, <laughs> Let's not put it that way, though. Oh, no? That's, no, that's a bad term. Yeah, that's, <laughs> this is a family show. Um, uh, you know, no, it, it's, it's great. And so anyone who's in Flint, Michigan, uh, send, uh, I'll have probably have some in the show notes for maybe a link. Is there a link to the page? What was the name of the school again? Uh, it's going to be hosted by Heian Karatedo, uh, like the Heian Kata. It's a Shotokan school. Uh, right, it's pronounced Pina, um, and uh, run by Paul Mosul. Um, and uh, we don't have a page up for it yet because the okay. COVID stuff kind of uh, put things on uh, on a bit of a hold. But I'll be uh, at some point posting it up on my Karate Obsession page. I'm sure he'll be posting it on the Heian Karate Do uh, Facebook page as well. Yeah, so where absolutely. where can people find you? You got uh, links to show? I've got KarateObsession.com is kind of the big one. Uh, All right facebook.com slash uh, karate obsession um instagram is at karate obsession um youtube don't, f- karate don't forget about the youtube channel i just subscribed today yeah, YouTube <laughs> karate obsession as well um, once i can have more partners i would like to put more videos of partner work up but to be perfectly honest the only people that i have in my household that i can use are so much smaller than me it just looks bad yeah <laughs> Well, you I'm a sure. giant of a person, so I need well, you need to make sure that they're doing the technique, so I can go like, "Oh wow, see how easy this wow. works." Yeah, there's that. There's that. I got to steal them for a little longer then, though, because I got to got to have them practice. That's true. That's true. 
Uh, by the way, uh, no legal. Again, thanks. Thanks for all your work. Thanks for your uh, earnest training, and um, thanks for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Noah. Well, that was fun. Oh man, outstanding. He's fun to talk to. Yeah. Boy, there's you know, there's nothing like a little dojo talk. You know, just yeah. sitting around BSing about martial arts. Well, you know, I mean, he's 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 kind of a I don't know how he is in class, but I mean, he's he's kind of a low key thoughtful guy. So it's yeah, a, a yeah. To talk to him and a, a self professed geek like the rest of us. Right. So that's I, I much prefer. I, I don't know. He's. Uh, I, I prefer sort of the the philosopher martial artists. Um, I think that uh, you know it's 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 the he talked a little bit about the the concepts kind of aspect to martial arts, and th those are the things that you can communicate to other people and that you can carry forward uh, through generations. Uh, the the actual techniques themselves, you know, when he was talking about the the things that his instructor did in class and you know smacking the the pads together and things like that mm -hmm. those are things that generally get lost through the generations you know those those things don't come along for the ride with the rest of the system i guess if you will um so the guys that are more thoughtful and go back to first principles and things like that i think those are those are the guys that are that are carrying martial arts forward for uh, generations, and and not just to their particular students. So, right. well, you know, that's what I liked what he's talking about about like the intersecting wave of mm -hmm. you know, how things are going to change. Because I, I think there was like a big, huge revolution, maybe from like the the eighties and nineties uh, to maybe you know like the the late nineties or maybe the the two thousands. A change, you know, the, the practical karate thing blew up, and yeah. you know, or just you know, the mixed martial arts as we were talking about, and all that stuff. It, it, it's kind of good to you know have take a, a longer, a wider view of you know going back and going seeing where it kind of started, mm -hmm. you know, and how it's all still the same. And, <laughs> you know, getting getting the, again, you know, what he mentioned many times in the show is what I've mentioned and other shows and I tell my students all the time is context. Everything yeah. is context. You got to look yeah. at the context of what, of what your training is. You got to look at the context of what that system or style came up in. Mm -hmm. uh, all that ties in and, and it's, it's going to keep, you know, intersecting and separating and intersecting and separating. Yeah. Well, and I thought, I thought it was interesting too, that one of the things that uh, uh, we talked about was this idea of uh and, and he brought it up that the 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 things that you can do on your own you know you had mentioned um feeding yourself kind of stuff and and he had mentioned you know learning the culture and reading books and you know there's there are all of these aspects where um if you're trying to to motivate yourself to do something or um or whatever the case might be there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. And there's a lot of different aspects to the martial arts that you can study. You know, if you're interested in history, you can study the history of martial arts. Um, if you're interested in, if you're, if you're a maker or a builder, you can build your own wooden dummy or, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, there's lots to explore there that, that people can do if, if they choose to. So it was, it was, a, it was a fun call. It was yeah. Fun it was talk. really good. You know, yeah. Again, I love, talking to someone, I mean, I love talking to you, don't get me wrong, well, but I love you know, not just talking to us. I like hearing. Yeah, yeah me too. Uh, and, and I try not to get you know, just like-minded like people on here. I just get people that, that, again, like you say, are thoughtful. 
and um, it's good to hear, you know, like the same sort of repeating things. That mm, we talk the about themes. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're like, oh, yeah. you know, context. I talk about context all the time. Here's this all the guy time. who I've never yep. talked to. Um, right. You know, and he uh, brings it up first. And he brings it up first. So yeah. uh, it's great. But it's, I mean, it's good that, I mean, he's being identified as a, as a resource for martial artists in general. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he doesn't like, like his videos are, are a reasonable length, unlike this episode. Uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's good. It just, uh, it's a little thought, put it in. There. It's a little thought. Yeah. That's he, the he, thing. He you plant the out, seed and sort of walk out. away. Yeah. Like you, know, you wouldn't yep. just watch the, the Waza Wednesdays and like, you know, mm-hmm. he, he and the sensei would do, uh, and it, it's all contextual. It's like, it's, yeah. it's not supposed to be encapsulated. It's just, that's like, right. Hey, here's a thought, go with it. And, yeah. and experiment play. Yeah. It's, it's, it's much better to, you know, like, my close personal friend, Ian Amber, and he says, he's like, you know, give it a go, you know, yeah. try try that out, see how it works, you know, maybe it'll yeah. work, maybe it won't, then then we'll tear it apart. Uh, being a thoughtful martial artist, I guess, is probably the, the thing yeah. that I get from him more and the thing that I appreciate both from his work and just yeah. martial artists in general. Well, one, one uh, show note that I'd like to make is uh, because one of your students complained I went out and got a brand new $130 microphone. So to that student, I hope my voice sounds better on this podcast. Oh than my gosh. On the last. It's, it's, it's because like, it was awful, awful like, on the last one. It was unlistenable. It was horrible. And yeah. this is like butter. <laughs> Smooth butter. That's right. Just talk to him, Dan. Just talk <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's good. We'll, we'll, we'll test that mic out more. Um, Dan, always good to talk to you. Always good to talk to you, Paul. And good to hear you now. Yeah. And we will talk to you all again very soon.